Hi, it's Dave. Recently, Tesla has released their full self-driving option to a limited number of beta users. Now, I think this is a hugely significant event in Tesla's history, but also in the history of transportation and autonomy. In this video, I'm going to be talking with Omar Kazi from Whole Mars blog, and I'm going to be chatting about the implications of full self-driving and what this means for the future of Tesla. So we've heard how Tesla has released full self-driving features to a limited number of beta users. However, recently some people have been reporting that the full self-driving feature is improving rather fast, actually amazingly fast. So I kind of want to explore this issue. So I'm going to call up Omar from Whole Mars blog. He's been testing out full self-driving. Now, this is not an interview. This is simply a chat between two Tesla fans talking about the future of Tesla. I'm so curious, like FSD has been, you know, rolling out to some beta users and um, there's been a lot of optimism and a lot of people just watching, you know, what's going on on Twitter and stuff. Um, like, how does it feel like, you know, in the car? Like, just is it different than just like, let's say, watching, you know, footage on Twitter? Is there some type of like connection that you're getting like with the car and the whole experience? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think it's definitely something that you have to see to believe um, you have to experience it to believe it. This is something that I've been talking about for a long time and advocating, you know, the benefits of this technology. But it's been talked about for so long and taken so long that even I kind of, you know, had a hard time believing it. Even when Elon said, OK, the beta's coming, I still didn't believe it. Um, and we didn't necessarily know what was in it uh, because, you know, it seemed like autopilot had been improving, but at a certain pace. I mean, we got traffic lights this year. We've seen all kinds of improvements that have made autopilot really great, but still a long way off from truly handling all of the drive, doing turns, being able to go around cars, do all these things. So when the beta actually came, and it actually had all of these features implemented, not perfectly, but you can see the foundation is there. Um, and you can see that, for example, things that people always wondered, like, well, is it really going to be able to do turns? Is it really going to be able to turn left and watch for traffic uh, and all those things? And you try it in your car and you find that Tesla has actually been hiding this much more advanced version of autopilot. And that it can actually do things like check for oncoming traffic uh, surprisingly well. Now, granted, it's still not perfect. It's a beta. There's probably at least a few more months of work before it can be uh, released to the public for the first time. And even then, the driver will have to supervise it. So there's a long road ahead. But I think what Elon said, that there's no fundamental challenges reigning, is pretty accurate. They have laid the foundation uh, for autonomy in, in a way that I think is pretty convincing when you try it. Yeah, like I remember um, at Autonomy Day, this was like back, what, April of 2019, like I had a chance to drive in like right. one of the cars where they actually had no mm -hmm. intervention and they drove us around 15, 20 minutes. And it was like, mm -hmm. it was like, 
it was almost unbelievable. You know, you're like, whoa, this is amazing. But you just didn't know like how much of it was prepared, you know, um, or not. Right. And then it, there right. was this huge lag time where it felt like, you know, just just navigate on autopilot. Like that was the extent of mm-hmm. autopilot. Right, right. And it wasn't, it didn't seem like it was improving at a radical pace and you didn't see like mm-hmm. a ton of extra features. So you're just kind of like, okay, what's going on? And then mm-hmm. you're waiting, waiting, but then you kind of give up waiting in a sense, right? Because you don't know when full self-driving is going to come. And then all of a sudden you hear talk of beta, but then for me, it's like, okay, just beta. Maybe it's just a few things. Right. And then it Same, hits yeah. and it's like, wait a minute, mm-hmm. is this car actually like driving everywhere? <laughs> like doing all the functions, you know, right. like stopping and starting, reading stoplights, turning left and right and going around stuff. Like, and it's like, you're, you kind of, I kind of take a step back. I'm like, wait a minute, this is actually happening. You know, this is amazing. Um, it's almost, mm-hmm. it reminds me a little bit of like battery day, you know, it's like, you don't know what's going on. And then boom, you know, Tesla says 56%, you know, uh, battery cost improvements. And in, in a similar way, this, this full self-driving beta is like, okay, it's kind of Tesla putting their head down, just working hard, you know, working out all these things, rewriting and then releasing this. And it's like, whoa, Tesla has been hard at work all this time and is, you know, probably far, far ahead of anyone else, you know, in the, in the field. What are your thoughts? Yeah. So, I mean, I think Tesla has been working on this for a really long time. So, and I think, I think in about 2016, um, Elon approached Pete Bannon from PA Semi, the company that Tesla acquired, I mean, uh, the, sorry, the company that Apple acquired to make their A-series processors, which have, you know, taken the computing world by storm. These are some of the most common processors people use now. Apple's now putting them in their Macs too. So Elon approached Pete Bannon to design their own chip specifically engineered for FSD in about 2016. So that gives you a sense of how long this you know, they've been working on this project for four or five years. And I think the rewrite, the improved software that takes advantage of this computer um, has been well underway for long before Autonomy Day. So I think that probably what you saw at Autonomy Day was an early version of this feature. And it's taken them 18 months just to uh, get it to the point where you can actually give it to some users to try. And, you know, I think that's just kind of the way it is with this software. Safety comes first. You can't release something that's ridiculously unsafe. And everyone was just kind of looking at Elon like he's saying these things and they were like, okay, is this guy full of shit? Is he exaggerating? Uh, But now when you see the beta, and again, you know, there's still many, there's still a lot of work to do, but you understand what Elon was saying, that there is a path here. And what you saw publicly did not necessarily reflect the full extent of what was going on at Tesla behind the scenes. Yeah, definitely. Like I remember when Elon tweeted, you know, back in the day, what was this, 2017? I don't know. It was a long time ago where Tesla wanted to do a coast to coast, you know, uh, autopilot drive. And it never happened. And I think Mm -hmm. part of the issue was, you know, I think 
you know, Elon kind of knew that they could do it, but they were probably like, once you get to the superchargers or, you know, off the off ramp and you have to have all mm -hmm. these corner cases, it's like super challenging, you know, and you have to have intervention, et cetera. So they would have to hack it. And so Elon probably decided later, oh, it's not worth, you know, the extra effort of hacking. Mm -hmm. But then in some ways that caused people to kind of doubt full self-driving timeline even more because they're like, Hey, is this ever going to come out? You know, especially right. Tesla skeptics. Um, mm -hmm. But it's interesting because, like, with um, just like with battery development, it's like there's this element of Tesla where they're kind of working behind the scenes. You know, they're not showing everything that they're doing. And I think autonomy is one of those things where they're like, you know, we're still going to go heads down and do everything we can. And I think people, some people doubted Elon, but at Autonomy Day, he's saying. Hey, everything at Tesla is structured around autonomy. Like, you know, autonomy is going to be like the future. And our entire company is focused on this. And what he shared at Autonomy Day was kind of more of a, a summarized version, you know, just kind of like the high level, just here are the major pieces. But like day to day, these are engineers and the entire company that's really like focused on this. And I think what we're seeing right now is kind of the results, the fruit of all of those years of labor. Um, yeah, coming out right now. Definitely. Uh, I agree. And that's a good point you made about the coast to coast drive. I think that this version can do a coast to coast drive. Um, I doubt that there would be zero takeovers across the whole country. But give it a few years, and I maybe even less than that, and I believe you could have zero takeovers across the country. All of the features are there now uh, to do that. And Elon made a great point, which is that you know we could kind of cheat and spend a bunch of time looking at all those exits that we need to take and fine tuning it to make sure it works in that uh, scenario for the purposes of the demo. But what Tesla is doing here is really different than anybody else. They're not doing an optimized, specialized solution similar to what Waymo is doing. You know, Waymo has driverless minivans operating in Chandler, Arizona. But there's a catch. It's about, I think, a, a 10 mile, 10 square mile area or maybe 10 mile by 10 mile. Um, I think it's 10 square miles, 10 square mile area of Chandler where Waymo's work. And they've said, you know, as we double that service area, we're going to have to add safety drivers. So this really gives you a sense of solutions like Waymo that actually probably drive better than autopilot right now. But they have this limitation. Well, several limitations, but one of them is you need to pre-scan the area with LiDAR in advance. Then you can use that LiDAR scan later, compare it against a new scan, and then localize your position. And that's uh, one of the ways that they're able to really accurately pinpoint their location and uh, scan for objects and all that. So this is all great, um, and, except for you know the added cost and added energy and all those other drop downs. But it's very specific to a given area. And you've seen this with pretty much all robo-taxi deployments that exist. They're very specialized. You can design it to work in one area, but the real challenge is how do you create a self-driving system that can work anywhere, that can work just like a human? Like you could build a new road in 
five seconds and put the car on the road, brand new road, never been seen before. And it knows how to drive on that road, not because it has a map and it knows the road, but because it can actually see and understand the road rules and act on them properly. And this is the this is the giant real fundamental problem, because if you can solve this, you can deploy this technology anywhere across the world. You can deploy it in Africa, in Europe, in Asia, in the Middle East. Um, so a lot of people laugh and they say, oh, autopilot so far behind, but they don't realize that what's being attempted here is a fundamentally different problem than anyone else is attempting. They're trying to solve autonomy in a generalized way. And while it may seem slower at first, it has the potential to just dramatically leapfrog everyone else and get deployed around the world. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree. I think at the last conference call last week or so, Elon was mentioning how Tesla is trying to solve for passive optical. And I think that's a kind of the, the whole key to the whole solution, meaning our entire transportation system is built around passive optical, meaning it's how people are looking visually out. So the entire system, this, the signs, the roads, the markings, every part of our driving transportation system is built for the passive optical system of a human. And so if you can solve that, then you're matching what the entire transportation system is built upon and you can drive as good and then better as a human. The problem is when you rely on LIDAR and, and HD maps and all this stuff, you're not solving for how the transportation system was built, which is all these like millions of corner cases that you have to use passive optical to, in order to decipher it. It's like a, it's like a maze or like a, a puzzle, you know, and it's built for, for passive optical, you know, solutions. But if you don't have that down and you have these other things, like that's not how the transportation system was made. And so it might work on some easy roads and you might think you might get tricked to think in certain like, you know, um, boundaries that it works great but then how about the million cases let's say in india or china where you know it's like and also in the u.s there's so many cases where you need that passive optical like solution to be better than a human and i think like elon with autopilot he's nailed it like he he totally understood exactly what needs to happen i know they started out with hd maps and then they they ditched it but that's the thing mm -hmm. elon is willing to admit his mistakes and to regroup mm -hmm. and pivot and Tesla, like, I can't imagine if Tesla just was narrow-minded and just stuck with, uh, you know, <laughs> HD maps or LiDAR. Like, right. it would be a completely different situation, you know, for Tesla. Yeah, definitely. I think you're exactly right. And that's actually, you know, very perceptive, Dave. Uh, if you have these LiDAR and HD maps, it may improve what the ride experience feels like in the short term. But ultimately, these technologies are making up for a subpar vision system. If the vision system is not good enough, that's why you need a LiDAR or an HD map where you can say, okay, I'm exactly this many inches away from the tree and I know the lane is exactly here. So I'm going to exactly, you know, localize myself into that area. Um, and you really need to be able to solve vision. You need to be able to see people walking and see everything there is to see. And if your vision system 
isn't good enough that it can handle the whole driving task, you're not going to be able to solve autonomy ever, not in a generalized way. So even though you'll see all these you know, kind of weird things where you see the vision system falling short compared to a LIDAR where, you know, a LIDAR may be able to uh, drive in a more, you know, comfortable way at first. It's almost good to let the vision system fail because by letting the vision system fail, you're seeing where it falls short and improving it. Whereas before in the kind of spatial approach to autonomy. That's what people call, you know, LIDAR and HD maps, kind of spatial reasoning rather than computer vision. In the spatial approach to autonomy, you're kind of masking over the problems in the vision system with this kind of duct tape um, that can help you make something good, but it's just so much work to get it to, to get set up with, with all the HD maps and, um, and localization for the area that you'll never deploy to the whole world. Yeah, completely agree. Yeah, it's like um, I think just, it's just a matter of time before I think one by one other you know companies start to find the limitations you know of lidar and HD maps. And as Tesla just builds their lead, they're going to be forced to make a major pivot, you know, and um, redraft things. I'm not saying that. I, I don't know. What's, what's your take on the competition going forward? I mean, my opinion, in some ways, Tesla will gain this um, first lead, this initial lead, because of their right decisions. And also, the mass amount of data through all their vehicles is giving them just this crazy lead. Um, so in some ways, like Tesla is, I wouldn't say flawless, but is like way up there in terms of execution mm -hmm. with the data and their whole approach. They're doing everything they can and they're doing it right. You know, they're doing it the right way. Um, other companies, they're kind of working um, against themselves, you know, by not doing mm -hmm. solving passive optical first or vision. And they're creating these crutches that they is wasting their time in a sense, they, while they could be focusing on, on vision. And so it's delaying their, 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 ultimate kind of destination or improvements with um, autonomy. And so I think it's just giving Tesla a further lead, but I think at some point, whether it's, you know, Google, Waymo or Nvidia, Mobile or some other companies, um, like they're gonna switch over, you know, poach a bunch of Tesla engineers and other people and copy the system. I mean, they will have it, they'll still have a data problem, right? And they have to build up. So, I mean, we're looking at, you know, other companies probably being at least, you know, four or five years, you know, behind. Um, mm -hmm. But if they can get the data, you know, and they build their stuff, it's not like technology that's impossible to do or impossible to emulate, you know? Sure, Tesla's fleet right. will be, probably be bigger, but I don't know, what's your take kind of on the future? Let's say yeah. 10 years out, like, do other mm -hmm. competitors actually have a working version of autonomy? Is it in the same vicinity as Tesla's? Like, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think it's really interesting because you look at Google, for example, they are some of the smartest, most cutting edge machine learning researchers out there. I mean, you've got some of the best computer vision, speech recognition, you know, they're, they're the industry leaders, they're Google. You know, so what happened here? You know, how did how is Tesla with a tiny little team compared to Waymo able to deliver more results? And I think part of the story is that the 
Waymo project started in 2009. And back then, computer vision was very young. I mean, you've seen all these things happen in the past 10 years with AlphaGo from Google beating the world's best Go player. Um, you have neural nets beating the best video game players, you know, StarCraft players and that kind of stuff. So you've seen neural nets really grow and deep learning really grow with speech recognition and all kinds of stuff in the past 10 years. And I think, you know, Google kind of pioneered it kind of before this technology started and they had to kind of uh, bolt it on more. But the bottom line is in 10 years, autonomy will seem easy. Everybody will have autonomy. It won't even be something people talk about. It'll just be completely commonplace the way that you and I don't talk about having a data network on our cell phones. Everybody's got a data network. But for the next 10 years, there's going to be vast, vast differences in between what different products can do. So, you know, Tesla says long-term autonomy is not going to be the competitive advantage. It's going to be manufacturing. But in the next 10 years, I think there's going to be massive differences between what different software packages can do. So that's going to be, that's going to be a big thing for the, for the next decade. But what really sets Tesla apart and why I think it's so tough to compete with them is there's not one thing here. It's not just the computer vision. Delivering an autonomous car that's affordable to the masses that can enter mass production is a task that requires a kind of Apple-like vertical integration. It's not enough to just master the software. It's not enough to just master the hardware. You've got to master the whole thing from top to bottom, and that is really, really difficult. And that's why you've seen, you know, who is doing autonomy by themselves besides Tesla? Nobody. Everybody else is partner. You've got the car makers partnering with the software guys, the software guys partnering with the car guys. And I'll give you a great example. So you've got this great neural network that software that you want to run on the car. Well, how do you run it on the car in a way that doesn't suck up a ton of battery and kill the range of the car, right? It's actually very difficult because as you know, computers use power just like the motors. So for a Waymo, there's computers taking up the whole trunk and they suck up a lot of battery. That's why, you know, you've seen Waymo use hybrid vehicles traditionally rather than pure electric because, you know, it just creates a hassle draining the battery. So Tesla designed their own chip, their own super power efficient chip where they actually offloaded the processing of the neural net off the CPU and GPU onto a separate neural net processing unit. And that allows them to hit their energy efficiency targets. And everything on the chip was designed with this in mind. So you need to be thinking about the car, you need to be thinking about the chip, the hardware it's running on, the software has to be great and it has to integrate well with that hardware it's very difficult to find a company that can do all of these things. The closest I think is out there is actually Intel's Mobileye. 
Intel, obviously one of the leading chip makers, they acquired Mobileye, which is an Israeli company. They're also doing vision-based autonomy. They're working on that, focusing on Israel, but they're working on it. And they provided Autopilot One for Tesla, for people who used Autopilot One back in 2014, that was Mobileye. So I think Elon was kind of inspired by them a lot, um, but decided to take their own route. They decided they wanted to own the technology. But, you know, Mobileye is definitely one I would watch just because they are taking kind of that similar approach. And if the approach turns out to be successful, you would imagine they can they could replicate it. They have a lot of partnerships with OEMs um, and and that's definitely something to watch. I, I think this whole thing kind of just shows, you know, what what who who is Elon Musk? What what does he do? Right. Elon Musk is a person who looks at ridiculously difficult problems, intractable problems, and he breaks them down piece by piece, and he comes up with a plan to solve them. Okay, we need to transition the world to electric vehicles. How do you start a new car company? There hasn't been a new company started in 100 years. Okay, expensive car, less expensive car, less expensive car. We're gonna work our way down the product line. It sounded crazy, but it worked. He understood that a vision-based solution could work. Even though even today, you see so much negativity and just misunderstanding and people saying, you know, it's gonna kill people. You know, they don't understand. And that strength to be able to see that path, even when so many people don't understand and, and think you're crazy, and then attracting engineers who can work on that problem who say, hey, you know what? He's actually developed a strategy here that seems plausible. And I'm going to follow through on that. And, you know, Google is kind of just like engineers doing all these fun projects. A lot of them get canceled. I think they had a lot of really great engineers, a lot of really smart people, but it's not, you can throw a lot of smart people at a problem and they're not necessarily going to solve it if you're approaching it the wrong way. So having a smaller team, but approaching it with the right strategy that Elon kind of came up with is really what. I think gave them that lead that you talked about. Mm -hmm. And it's not a insurmountable lead. Mm -hmm. Like Elon said before, in 10 years autonomy will be easy. Mm -hmm. But they've they've kind of set the course and I think they they do have a few a few years lead here and it, it'll show up in a big way. Yeah. I, yeah. I definitely agree like I think um what's kind of not appreciated a lot is the leanness of tesla's kind of approach meaning they don't have like a million engineers working on autonomy mm -hmm. like especially compared to some mm -hmm. of these other competitors they have a very small you know core team of engineers mm -hmm. and like it's it's actually quite insightful for elon too because he realizes that um for a problem a software problem especially like autonomy you don't want like a thousand average engineers or above average engineers and all the bureaucracy mm -hmm. that comes along with that. You'd rather have just like 30 or 40 top minds who really like are thinking outside of the box and can make like weekly and monthly just major improvements, you know? And that's kind of what Elon focused on, I think, in the early days is, hey, we need the best of the best here, you know? And he made it a priority. I think people underestimate what Elon did in the early days. And you know, he got... Mm -hmm. Yeah, Andre Karpathy, and he brought 
in you know a lot of the the top mines, and he gave them the freedom to really go at lightning speed as fast as they could. He gave them even the 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 chip, the hardware. He had a separate team working on you know um, the hardware chips. Right. Like, okay, this is whatever you need on the hardware side, you will get what you need. You know,、mm-hmm. and it's like all of that behind the scenes, like that's not. Apparent or talked about, but that's like super key to the success of autonomy. And so when you see like people driving around full self-driving beta and stuff, it's like, wow, how did Tesla do that? There's a lot、mm-hmm. behind the scenes, and I think in some ways, like Elon made the right moves. You know, he put the right people in charge, had the right priorities. You know, the hardware, the software, the freedom, the best of the best, and as a result, you get what you get today. Definitely. I mean, there's a famous book in software engineering called "The Mythical Man Month." So, the Mythical Man Month is about software management, and it says, "Okay, you know, back then people used to talk about software and say, 'Okay, this is going to take this many man hours to implement.' Like, so let's say a hundred man hours." And so, the Mythical Man Month. Was basically saying, well, there's no such thing as a man hour in software. It may be in other disciplines, like for example, maybe assembling a dining table is ten. Okay, you know, just for an example, this seems like a difficult dining table. But say there was a dining table that was ten man hours. Well, maybe if you had ten people, they could do it in an hour if they each assemble different parts or something. That's not how it works in software.、Uh, Because there's kind of a huge communication overhead, where a software engineer has to build this whole mental model in their mind, and basically try and come up with a concept and make it cohesive, and make the code cohesive to what's going on in their mind. There's a huge communication overhead in one software engineer working with another, and、uh, and. And being able to, you know, communicate and、uh, articulate that aspect of what they're working on to each other. So the mythical man month said, when you have more software engineers, it doesn't make the project go faster. It actually makes it go slower. This is very counterintuitive to how management for anything else had been done before. And Elon knows this very well.、Um, the other autonomy companies, they've got hundreds. If not thousands of people working on their autonomy efforts, I mean, you've got the lidar engineers and the hardware guys and all kinds of areas of engineering that Tesla has just eliminated, and I think they really understand the power of a small team. Yeah, like、um, the analogy comes to mind of like building a house. You know, like typically the the mindset is, hey, you need a certain number of hours, a certain number of people. People to move the,、mm-hmm. the lumber and hammer and set、right. up this and this and this, but in software it's actually a very different paradigm. And I mean, a lot of people apply you know the house building paradigm to software, but with software you're not necessarily moving physical objects that require a、mm-hmm. certain number of fixed time. You're you're moving lines of code and creating、mm-hmm. things, and so the the ability to create code. And to do it efficiently, and to come up with interesting ways to do it, it's radically different. And so, in some ways, like、mm-hmm. the top top of 
programmers in some ways can be more like a hundred times or even a thousand times more efficient, you know, than an above right. average pro programmer. Cause it's, it's not moving lumber, you know, it's like moving lumber. People are generally the same, you know, but with code yeah. and creating things out of code, it's this huge distinction of abilities. And that's where I think mm -hmm. Elon is like, you know, you've got that communication problem, like you said, like just all this bureaucracy, mm -hmm. how are you gonna make decisions with a thousand engineers, right? It's right. like, it's crazy. Exactly, yeah. But get it, yeah, get a team of 30 or 40 of the best minds, you know, with the best, mm -hmm. you know, AI head with crazy ambitions and the and all the resources they need. Um, and then you can come up with something amazing. And I think um, that's one of Elon's key insights that uh, led to, you know, full self-driving today. Yeah, definitely. Small team of great people. Yeah. Um, I'm curious. I wanted to ask you about um, with full self-driving beta, um, you mentioned on Twitter that you're noticing um, some improvements um, mm -hmm. and it hasn't even been that long, right? It's just been like several days since you've been driving. Mm -hmm. Like, can you describe like what, what you're experiencing a bit? Yeah. So, you know, it's always hard to know if you're kind of imagining it or sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but it seems clear that the autopilot team is watching for feedback very closely. I mean, when you get real real world data about where it's really working and when it isn't working, that's really, really valuable because the autopilot team can then say, okay, there's 20 problems. Okay. It's stopping too far from the stop sign. It's sometimes missing the right turn lane. I actually now have statistics on how common each of these problems are. And I can tackle the most common problems first. So the same amount of work ends up having the greatest area impact on the experience of driving because you're tackling the most common problems. It says, oh, it feels like it got a lot better. So one of the ideas here behind this, what Elon calls this foundational rewrite, is really aimed at not only making the system better, but actually making it improve faster and actually giving it the tools to improve faster. Whereas before, improving the system was a manual task that required engineers. They want to offload a lot of that work to a team of labelers who aren't software engineers. They're just kind of, you know, drawing a box around something to give the computer the answers um, which it's then able to use to train the neural network. And I believe that they have improved infrastructure that allows them to fix problems in the system faster. So as they get that real-world data about what the problems are, I think they'll be able to fix it a lot faster, in some cases maybe even without a software update. Now the long-term plan that Tesla AI director Andre Karpathy has talked about is Operation Vacation. So what is Operation Vacation? Operation Vacation is kind of this ideal that the autopilot team, the whole team should be able to go on vacation. And the system is still getting better. It's still learning entirely on its own. Um, and that's what they're moving towards. So they're building one of the largest supercomputers in the world, which is going to be called Dojo. And what this is going to do is just massively accelerate neural network training. To give you a sense, 
to build one hour, to build autopilot, one build of autopilot, it takes 72,000 GPU hours. So probably some people watching this have an NVIDIA graphics card in their computer. If you were to do that on your NVIDIA graphics card, it would take 72,000 hours, which is, I think, about a year. So think about that. One year just to build one version of autopilot after you've already finished making it. And you can use, you know, thousands of GPUs and speed that up. But just like they made Tesla's chip team made a custom chip for neural network inference on the cars, they're now also making a custom chip to accelerate neural network training and make that happen a lot faster. So this is definitely something that is really exciting. It's not just a step change improvement in, okay, wow, this update's a lot better. It's, wow, this update actually has the infrastructure to accelerate the rate of improvement. And that's what I think is really exciting. Yeah, um, yeah, it's fascinating. I'm curious, what's your background? Are you a, a software engineer, or what's mm -hmm. kind of your your thing? Yeah, I mean, I've been I've been in software since you know pretty much my whole life. You know, my dad uh, started a software company, so pretty much from a young age, I was writing software, and I've been following you know different tech companies and uh, different innovations my whole life, and uh, still do a lot of software stuff uh, okay. for my day job. So, okay. are you are you like a back end, front end, or everything or what's your kind of thing um i you know i've done a lot of work on all sides uh, a lot of back-end server stuff a lot of uh web stuff a lot of mobile stuff so a little bit of everything okay cool i'm wondering um how do you think like uh, tesla is pushing these i guess improvements because I'm, gu I'm guessing that with this full self-driving beta out, like some people are, I think you, you included, were saying that there isn't a firmer update um, that's being pushed, but you're seeing the improvements nevertheless. And so is Tesla pushing kind of over-the-air updates without, you know, firm, like basically is Tesla doing kind of push updates that are automatically updating in the background without, right, the user knowing it? So... I think that the big updates still require a software update because you wouldn't want your car to just dramatically change its behavior without your consent. So I think the consent and installing the software update is important. However, little things I think can potentially be fixed without uh, a big software update. I'm not really sure. And there's a, there's a little bit of uncertainty here because you know, sometimes there's so many things that are different. Sometimes it may work and other times it may not work. And there may be, you know, reasons for that. So I want to say that the people who have been saying this, they're speculating a little bit about how the system is improving. But we did speak to an autopilot labeler, someone on the autopilot team who does the data labeling. Uh, well, he was actually a former uh, autopilot engineer when he talked a data labeling person when he talked to us and he told us that they do have some kind of capability to push certain things without a full update um, what that actually is I don't understand but it's clear to me that Tesla's infrastructure a lot of the tooling around this whole uh, product is improving dramatically the kind of internal tools they have um, and I think that's they're kind of rolling the bait out slowly, expanding to all 50 states. And as they gather data, 
from all over the country, I think they have the tools to really hone in the system uh, based on that data they gather gather at a much faster rate than they were before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I was kind of uh, speculating like or thinking that there must be something that you know Tesla is able to do to update um, a t- their full self-driving. Let's say that that doesn't require a firmware update if people are really seeing improvements or... I mean, of course, it could be imagined, but I actually would side mm-hmm. to the <laughs> side to the um, argument that actually it is improving without the firmware updates. And I'm guessing, I'm wondering, like, I want your thoughts on this. Like, I wonder if Tesla is taking these user cases of you know error and et cetera of some mistakes of full self driving, et cetera. They're taking these video stuff and then they're training their neural networks again to optimize and fix these errors and from the neural networks, what they're doing is they're getting these new weightings between the, the mm. nodes and they have a push system, push update system where they're not pushing the entire neural network onto the cars again. They're pushing just the, the new weightings between the nodes mm-hmm. to the, the car. And that's where people, and this is just self-updating in the background. And this is where mm. the beta users are finding the, the improvements because they're like, wait a minute, this car is acting a little mm-hmm. bit different. And it mm-hmm. is because Tesla's, engineers are watching every like you know like mistake or error they're retraining their neural networks quickly and within a day or two right they're testing validating seeing that these new weightings between the nodes are actually better and pushing silently in the background this new update and the car is actually working better what are your thoughts well on a technical level there's some doubt and confusion about how exactly they're doing this green from twitter if you know him he kind of tears apart the autopilot firm where he says that the neural networks are stored on a uh verified partition that can't be changed but i mean it's always up to tesla's discretion to change this um so i don't know exactly about all the technical mechanisms and again when you have people reporting their experiences it's a little bit subjective um but that is the general process that you described, whether it's happening through a, a formal software update or happening behind the scenes. Tesla's, Tesla's taking the problems. I'm sure they're even kind of laser focused because there's so few people in the beta right now on individual problems that people are seeing. Um, that, but, you know, they, they're seeing the problem. You, you put it into the neural net, you give it the right labels um and you retrain it and it should be able to do better not just in that specific scenario but in other scenarios like it so just to give you kind of example let's say that i had a neural network that wanted to tell men and women apart And so I gave it a bunch of pictures of men and a bunch of pictures of women. And I said, learn what a man and what a woman is. And so it goes and it learns the neural net. And I said, okay, let's go try it now. And I go pick a thousand pictures of men and women. And I say, okay, well, what do you think? And it gives me the answers, which are men and which are women. And let's say for 20 of them, it gives the wrong answer. So I can go take that wrong answer And I can put it in the training set and I can say, well, actually, this is a man and actually this is a woman. 
And then when it retrains, it won't just get that picture right, but it will have learned something about what a man and a woman looks like, you know, from its training data set. So, so this is the data structure really is trying to represent in an abstract way what this thing is. What is a right turn lane? What is a left turn lane? And it's never going to be 100%, but it's like you're chasing nines. You're gathering more and more data, more and more examples where it was wrong and feeding that into the system. And it is such a diverse set of examples that it can then, you know, pinpoint with 99.9999% accuracy. Mm-hmm. Um what this is going to be and that's really what it is you know i don't want people to think that this is done right like okay well they've done the fsd beta and now they've solved autonomy no this is the start of a multi-year journey to chase those nines um it's not going to work 100 percent, and even if it works 99 percent, right so let's say you know you have a system that you know, that stops for red lights 99% of the time. Mm-hmm. Well, then every hundredth light, it's going to run the red, right? So 99% is not good enough. You need like 99.99999% where someone can go their whole life and never see that error. Uh, so it's very difficult. And it's going to take a lot of time and a lot of data gathering to really refine it to that point where we can be confident in a car going out and driving with no driver, which is the ultimate goal. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, what's um, interesting to me is, I guess what's the most interesting thing to me about full self-driving rollout right now is the possibility of kind of these over-the-air push updates in the background that might not be, you know, updating the entire neural network structure, mm-hmm. but, you know, is basically, I think, updating the weightings between the nodes, which leads to better outcomes. But... I think like if Tesla can actually is if Tesla is actually doing that, that's extremely bullish to me because it's showing mm-hmm. that in a way that yeah they need to improve their pace of improvement and innovation like quickly in order to get this you know improving. But if they can do that, all of these improvements like you're saying with with this training, like it's not just this one case or these several cases that you put in and it fixes just those cases. It's the entire, the entire network's ability to, to perceive and make decisions off that will actually improve in, in, in associated or related type of cases as well. And so it's like, it's a very compounding effect where you have these Mm -hmm. improvements built into the neural network. It might kind of suck in the beginning, but yeah. If you actually have a way to improve it rapidly, those improvements you can't minimize those improvements because they are radically improving the ability of the neural network. You know, far greater than what intuitively, intuitively maybe people might guess. You know, the improvements to be, and that's where I'm like, you know, initially I'm like, I don't know, you know, when ri- wild a wide release is going to happen because who knows, you know. But mm-hmm. yeah, if Tesla can actually, you know, make quick improvements. Um, what that means is, you know, wide release could be pending. Who knows? I mean, what, however, mm-hmm. uh, the comfortable level that Tesla feels. But at some point in coming months, as wide release comes out, after that too, it's going to probably improve quite, uh, quite rapid rapidly. Especially if they have mm-hmm. a way to improve it. And by in a year time, you know, by the end of next year, this thing actually might be really good. You know, of course, as you're saying, yeah. there's tons of 
in cases 0.00999 and whatever that they need to solve still. But by the end of next year, this thing can actually be actually, you know, quite impressive for most people. Definitely. I, I definitely agree. And it's improving a lot faster. It's going to be improving a lot faster. I think it'll make, I mean, you look at navigate on autopilot, it was a little bit not so great. It was cool, but not so great when it shipped. Now it's great. I recently drove from San Francisco to Los Angeles with zero disengagements on navigate on autopilot. It can just do everything now and it can do it pretty well. So I think you'll be surprised by how quickly things improve. And the really powerful thing is you've actually got drivers providing the correct answer. So every time the system does something wrong, let's say, for example, it misses a left turn lane, right? So it's supposed to get into the left turn lane. It ends up going straight. Well, the person's going to take the wheel and they're going to get into that left turn lane. And that's a signal to the system that it can train on. This is the correct path that the human did. And that's the most valuable thing is the human and the computer working together. That's going to allow it to learn. When you have a Waymo that's driverless, there is no feedback like that um, about the human giving feedback to the system. And the other thing is, it's not just about not crashing, right? Not crashing is the basic <laughs> level one of kind of what, of kind of the kind of feedback you want. Yeah, you don't want to crash, but also, are you going too slow, right? I mean, users care about this. They want to get where they're going. They don't want it to be very slow. Are you annoying the user, right? There's tons of valid, safe ways to drive that will annoy the user. Like, for example, you're braking way too hard or, you know, you're always behind a truck. You know, people don't like to be too close to semi-trucks. It makes them uncomfortable. So there's all these things. It's really not just safety. What humans want out of driving is very complicated. And how can you distill that problem of what does a human want? Well, you have data, disengagements, right? Every time they take over the wheel, it may not be that you were about to crash, but they took over the wheel for one reason or another. Maybe they just wanted to go have some fun and drive. And that is what's really valuable here. That's how this system learns how to drive. It learns how to drive by taking our pulse and seeing what we feel. Do we like how it's doing? Do we want to take control? And that feedback loop is the real story here. Mm -hmm. I'm curious, like in your full self-driving kind of beta testing, like are you, how long, like let's say you do a typical, let's say 20 minute ride, drive somewhere, mm -hmm. like how many interventions are you typically encountering? Of course the situation is different. So it, it varies. So you, even today, you can do 20 minute rides with zero disengagements. It is possible. And I have done it and I've talked to other people who have done it. Basically, if you get lucky, <laughs> there will be zero disengagements. Now, just because there's no disengagements doesn't mean it didn't, for example, do something weird. I mean, it's kind of, you know, for just to give you a sense, like it has a lot more freedom now, whereas before it just stayed locked into the center of the lane. Now it can go out of its lane lines 
It can go around cars. It can do all kinds of more advanced things, which is great. But wait, the kind of ironic thing about that is if you just tried it driving straight, you would say this is a, a regression because it kind of goes like, you know, that sort of thing. So even when there's disengagement, there's a lot of things that could be made smoother and that kind of stuff. And, you know, I'm confident that'll be worked out over time. But the majority of time, you do have to disengage for one reason or another. I, I mean, there's not even one big thing. It's a million little things, right? Like, for example, let me think about reasons I've had to disengage. So, you know, uh, if it didn't get into the turn lane in time or yesterday it was approaching a turn too fast, so I had to, you know, turn it off and do the turn and then turn it back on. So it's just, you know, nothing even one big thing. It's just a million little things um, that that need to be worked out. But I think that what people will find is that when they use it, they can use it for many of their drives, uh, barely having to do anything. You have to monitor and take over and correct any mistakes. You know, it's not going to do everything perfectly right from the get-go, but it really does do the full drive. And it try, you know, it tries to do the full drive. <laughs> and this is the worst, worst version it's ever going to be. That's true. Right? It's never going to get worse. It's only going to get better. So... So I would say, you know, there are probably more disengagements than any other, uh, you know, like if you see some of the YouTube videos of Waymo, I think there's more definitely significantly more disengagements than Waymo. Uh, but like we talked about, it's it's that generalized approach um, that really matters and it's just it's just a pleasure to use. I mean, I'm probably a little more willing to use kind of beta software than other people because I'm just excited and I'm an early adopter, but I do enjoy using it. You have the option of turning it off and going back to the old autopilot. So when I saw that, I said, oh, good, that's great. This version is unstable and new. I'll go back to the beta, I mean, the normal autopilot if I get tired of this but I haven't turned it off. I've actually really enjoyed using it. And it's just really profound to get in your car, just pull right out of your house, turn it on, and it takes you all the way to where you're going, 100% of the way there. Tries to do everything, even things that you would never expect your car to do, like unprotected left and that kind of thing, where it's waiting for traffic and then just running across so it's a lot more advanced than i expected but there's a lot of there's a lot of work to go i mean it's going to be years of of solving these obscure problems with disengagements and it'll get better and better but there will still be things and i mean it's going to be very challenging uh from from a number of perspectives from a PR perspective, um, from, you know, a regulatory perspective, it's a landmine. Um, and 
you know, I believe in people being responsible and monitoring and using it safely, but it's, it's going to take a lot of thought and it's a long journey ahead. This isn't, Hey, they finally released FSD Mm -hmm. and we're done. Sure. This is, Hey, FSD is now coming into the world and we're now beginning this journey, this March of nines. We're going to be chasing nines of reliability for at least a year, likely several years. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is really a decade long project, I think. I don't think there's any point in history where you ever stop improving the system. Mm -hmm. Like, okay, we're done now. No, there's always going to be something you can do to improve it. Even when the accident rate is 1% of what it used to be, Mm -hmm. there's still going to be work you could do to make it better or improve the features or make it drive faster or something like that. So this is really the start of a long March of nines. And I would say that it's a little bit counterintuitive. Okay, well, this is supposed to be a self-driving car, but I have to watch it. What's the point, right? Well, it is actually nice, and I think a lot of people will enjoy using it. It's it's a little bit hard to explain why it is nice, but, I mean, you can just kind of zone out a little bit. I, I mean, not like zone out like you're not paying attention, but you're not thinking about necessarily where you're going. Mm -hmm. The car is actually navigating you to your destination, taking the turns and you're just kind of making sure, you know, nothing crazy happens, but the car is doing the driving for you. Um, and I think it does have a lot of value, even while it's supervised for the next year or two. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think a lot of people will enjoy using it a lot. Yeah. Um, I'm curious, what's your personal speculation on when you think it'll get out of beta into wide release. Do you think it'll happen by end of Q1 next year? So I think they're shooting for around Christmas, which is an aggressive schedule. Personally, I don't think there's any rush to release it. Now that I've seen it, you know, before I saw it, I thought, well, if they don't ship it this year, that's going to be embarrassing because they said they were going to ship it last year. They didn't ship it. If they don't ship it this year, people are really going to be going like, man, what's going on? But now that I've seen it, it's like, okay, they're not messing around here. They're not joking. They really have this platform that is going to be able to tackle autonomy long term, I believe. So now that I've seen it, I don't feel that there's any rush to release it. Um, Whether it's three months here or there. History will not remember. Um, but if there's problems, it could potentially set the technology back a lot. So I think they're going to shoot for Christmas. I think if they can't do it, that's fine with me, as long as I get to keep using the beta, because I don't want anyone to take it away from me. If I have to go back to the old autopilot, I'm going to be very sad. But... Um, I think what they should do is they should expand the beta slowly and they should go to really, really experienced autopilot users who have tens of thousands of miles on autopilot and they've seen everything that can go wrong with the system before. And I think they should expand it slowly until everyone with FSD is in the early access beta 
and then do a wide release and make sure to train drivers well. And, you know, people are always saying, well, you know, you're letting real customers use this instead of professional trained safety drivers. Well, these professional trained safety drivers, you know, what kind of training are they really getting? Like, you know, don't crash the car. You have the case in Uber where the professional trained safety driver was watching the voice on Hulu on her phone when she was supposed to be monitoring the car. So I actually think this is a little bit of a myth that a professional trained safety driver is going to be a lot better than a customer who doesn't want to crash their own car, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. I think that customers can potentially be just as safe as anybody, um, you know, assisted with technology and other stuff to make sure they really are paying attention. Uh, but I think with the, the right education and training, um, normal customers can use this technology safely and can monitor it. And it's important because we need to understand where this is going. Mm -hmm. This is the biggest safety innovation since the seatbelt, right? This is going to save a lot of lives, a lot of people who are just in pain over losing a loved one today and that will not happen as often in the future because of this technology. And we need to understand that it's not just, there's not just gonna be this magical, perfect self-driving car that appears. Oh, okay, well, it's perfect now, let's release it. No, that's not gonna happen. Obviously, it's going to start out less perfect and get more and more perfect over time. And a lot of kind of the stories we've told ourselves about self-driving cars have been kind of not based in reality. This idea that, okay, well, they're going to work on the self-driving car and once it's perfect, it's going to go out. No, that's not really realistic. There is no perfect self-driving car. Yeah. So we need to think a lot about, you know, this, this, this part where it's supervised and we're putting it out into the world for the first time. Uh, but with human supervision, yeah, of course, it's going to be human supervised for uh, some time. And a lot of people will say, hey, I object to this. Um, I don't think this is safe. But I think it can be very safe. It can actually be safer than a human driver on their own, I believe. And the place where we're going is not only the greatest safety innovation since the seatbelt, it'll be an economic boom It'll affect every good and service in the economy that's sold. It'll add a ton of convenience. It'll make people's lives better. So there is something to work towards here that is worth the risk. Mm -hmm. And I think the risk can be handled. Yeah. Uh, can yeah. be handled well. Yeah, I definitely like agree on this kind of slow release to beta users. Um, you know, get people, especially, I love the idea of experienced autopilot people, get people you know, gradually grow this group where the people understand the risks, you know, they are very eager to help out, you know, make it like a collaborative effort. And even when it goes wide release, you know, still call it beta so that people are extra cautious with it and, you know, go slowly from there. I think, um, yeah, I think Tesla, I think Tesla knows all this stuff, obviously, <laughs> they know Definitely, exactly. Yeah. Uh, they have all the, uh, and I think, I think the price is also a security feature mm -hmm. in a way having it be a $10,000 software package, you're not gonna get some idiot 
teenager who, you know, got their first car and it's a Tesla somehow. Uh, and, you know, they don't know what FSD is and they just kind of, you know, have it and start abusing it. Now, I think people are really going to research what it is and understand it and understand that it needs to be supervised before they plop down $10,000, even if it is through a car payment, you know, over, you know, five or six years. Um, I think the price of it is actually a security feature, too. And that's going to go up over time um, as they uh, enhance the features and they're going to do new subscription offerings and ultimately, I think, charge for this as a SaaS kind of model because their cost structure is a SaaS cost structure. They have ongoing costs associated with maintaining the service. So it makes sense that if you want it for your vehicle lifetime, you're going to pay a lot more upfront or you can pay monthly subscription, pay per trip or per mile or uh, whatever as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I feel like I can, we can go on for, I have like a bunch of other thoughts too and other uh, yeah. interesting angles, but I feel like we can go on for hours and um, I'm actually like, yeah, I'm actually RV camping right now in Santa Barbara. So um, yeah, needing to hang out at the beach with the kids. Nice. Yeah, <laughs> um, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, I love, I love, I love chatting about this stuff. I feel like sometimes mm -hmm. when new stuff comes out, like full self-driving or just like I think um, it helps to t chat about it just for myself, but, you know, but also other people might get help too, because some of this stuff has a lot of ramifications, you know, and implications for the future. And it's fascinating if you could try to look at it from different angles, try to understand what's going on, understand Tesla, understand the landscape, the competition. Um, yeah, this is, it's definitely a fascinating story. We're going to look back at this 10 years from now and, It'll be like one of those moments, you know, where, where yeah. autonomy is just everywhere. But it's like, yeah, we were back then trying to figure out like how it's going to happen, you know, and what's, um, yeah, the angle. But I wanted to yeah, thank you for hanging out and chatting, yeah. actually, most of all. And um, yeah, hope to do it again uh, soon. Yeah, I always love to talk to you, Dave. I mean, I completely agree. It's really fascinating. It's really exciting. It's going to be really controversial. And ultimately, I think this is the story of how electric vehicles become mainstream. Because the fact of the matter is, if you want to replace all the cars in the world with electric, it's not going to happen. It's going to be so slow that you're not going to prevent a lot of these bad effects that we're trying to uh, popularize electric vehicles for. But if you have people not all buying a new car, but one car can drive around hundreds of people with a zero emissions ride. That is really powerful. And we've been talking a lot about getting the cost of batteries to be at parity with a gas car. Well, with autonomy, you know, electric vehicles have an advantage. They may cost more upfront for the battery, but then every mile you drive is cheaper because there's less maintenance and fuel. So with autonomy, where cars are driving 10 times more miles, that cost advantage is even more pronounced, where the total cost of ownership is now all that matters, not the sticker price. So when you have that cost advantage of, of electric and autonomy combined with the fact that you can't replace all the vehicles in the world, 
but you can make enough robo taxis for everyone to use. I think this is really, really uh, an important moment, not just in software, but also in electrification of transport. Yeah. And this is what makes it happen. Yeah. So it's I, really, I, really exciting. Yeah, it's it's very exciting. Another one other interesting thought is in a way, like you want like for example, Elon Musk and Tesla set out to, you know, make an electric vehicle, transition the world to sustainable energy, et cetera. But along the way, they came across autonomy, which in fact changes the use case of a vehicle. I mean, it's it's the most radical paradigm shift in transportation i think in history where before you're driving the vehicle right um but after autonomy the the vehicle is driving you it's it's becomes a complete passive experience right versus before it's an active one and this it's interesting that tesla and elon were it was able to see autonomy after they got started too you know after they released the model s in a lot of ways and see it as crucial see the paradigm shift, but then use that feature, that whole, you know, paradigm shift to bring it into their vehicles, transform the use case of the vehicles to further their mission. So now the mission to, to transition the world to sustainable energy is happening faster than if they just made a great electric vehicle. Now it's like turbocharged because yeah. they're leveraging AI and bringing in autonomy. So it's like this interesting use case of using other technologies and whatever comes at the moment to further right your mission in a quicker way. Yeah, it all uh, goes back to the mission. Yeah, exactly. I mean, this this I mean, it's it's a, a crazy uh, case in history. I think of of everything changing with transportation and energy and and um, so many things. And it's just fascinating that we're in the middle of it and we're all trying to make sense of it, right? So this is like the context yeah. of our, even our conversation right now. Yeah, definitely. You're right. It's going to change everything going to change the social cultural i mean kids being able to get around by themselves mm -hmm. but anyway like you said we could go on forever talking exactly. about this so <laughs> exactly all right man we'll save it for next time take care omar yeah. we'll take see care. you later. all right see you bye all right i hope that chat was helpful sometimes i think it's great to dive into different topics try to look at things from different angles to really understand it because sometimes we need to understand what's happening in the present and past in order to understand where things are going in the future i think tesla is at a crossroads in many ways. Tesla has amazing growth potential ahead, and they're at the cusp of releasing their full self-driving option, not just to beta users, but to all Tesla owners who paid for that option soon. I wanna hear what you guys think. What are the risks and challenges that Tesla will encounter regarding full self-driving? When do you think Tesla will be able to get out of beta and release full self-driving as a wide release? If this video has been helpful, please like it and consider subscribing to my channel. We're looking at investment topics in the world through different angles, trying to get beneath the surface of things. I'm on Twitter at HeyDave7, and we'll see you in my next video. Thanks.